I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Luana Saita. And we love to watch. We love to watch knows that it's lonely to be a cannibal. Hey, Luana. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Pete. <laughs> so before we get into introducing you, we like to, we do want to mention that, uh, well, I guess we don't want to. I specifically do. When I was asking, oh, I just want to make sure I have the pronunciation of your name right. You said it rhymed with uh, Moana with a Lou in front of it. Exactly. So That's uh, if, you're, you're doing it right. So if this, <laughs> if this entire podcast is me having the song... Uh, where we are from the opening of Moana with <laughs> Luana replacing it. I just let you know, you you did that to me. It's the danger of of because those are some catchy songs, and now it's going to be my in my head for this entire recording. <laughs> well, you know, if it, if it's any uh, consolation, personality wise, I'm more like that big crab. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the you're the Jemaine Clement character. I'm shiny. <laughs> yes, I am. I do love awesome. Jimmy Clement. <laughs> um, yes. So, yeah. So, thank you so much for joining us. If you've never heard us before, we're We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. Uh, each month, we pick a theme and do a few movies around that theme. And sometimes, if we remember, we compare and contrast them. This is our first week of probably, Peter, the month that we're most excited that we've ever done. I'll be honest. Yeah. This w- this month when I was I was pitching ideas for October, I was like I already knew you were going to be gung ho about this. So Yeah. What is this month. This month is Ladies Fright Night. Ooh. And for the first time ever, uh we're not the ones picking the movies. We've picked about 120 movies in a <laughs> row now. Uh we we did a we did kind of a guest request month at, at one point as well, but this time it's a little different. We turned over the entire decision making process to uh, a group uh, that we we are not in, but we are affiliated with through the through uh, the dissolve, which we've mentioned on here before. Mm-hmm. A group called Ladies Who Dissolve, and they with a process that we were not a part of. Uh, Luana, maybe you can describe it better than than I can. There was, I think, voting. There was some people getting into some scraps about who got whose movies got selected, and then all we heard was the final result. Frankly, I didn't hear about any about any scraps. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you want to imagine that, fine. <laughs> um, no, it was basically just someone started a thread like, "Hey, there's this podcast that's uh, looking for female voices for for October. Um, like, what are your favorite uh, female fronted or female directed horror movies?" Post your fave in the in the replies, and the ones that get the most um, that get the most likes. I think the the, the top four or something were uh, selected. Yes. Um, so so yeah, that, that's basically how it was. All it was all very civil. <laughs> well, this was not the Thunderdome situation that Carrie had described to us, but okay. Oh. I mean, no. <laughs> I would probably look good in a Furiosa cosplay, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I don't know if you know this, but when Aaron and I record, 
uh, I said on his shoulders like Master Blaster. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I well, technically because you know we we are in different cities. I put the laptop and the mic on my shoulders. And I think <laughs> you sit on them, right, Peter? Mm-hmm. That's how we mm-hmm. do that dichotomy. I am always talking out of my ass. So, <laughs> so Pete has the mind of a child. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you so much. Uh, and especially thank you to uh, Ladies Who Dissolve, our, our Carrie, that helped uh, put this month together because yeah. we really wanted to hand it over to <laughs> an awesome group of people in general that we wanted to trust them with mm-hmm. this one. And, and, and I, all the choices are very exciting, especially the one we're doing this week. Yeah. Oh. So- <laughs> Uh, so actually, we're going to do this all month, but normally, again, we introduce the movies. We, we are going to have an opening segment. We're going to talk about getting ready, ready for some of our Spooktober watching. But instead of us introducing the movie we're covering, Luana, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. um, what movie did you pick and why did you pick it? I picked um, Ravenous by Antonia Bird, um, the 1999 uh, horror western starring Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle. Um, I picked it because um, I'm also a pretty big Western uh, gal, and uh, I think it's kind of a perfect send-up of, like, these traditional male gender roles as seen in, you know, classic, let's say, Gary Cooper Westerns or whatever, and it kind of it fucks with all that a little bit, and it yeah. has a lot to say about, um, like, imperialism, colonialism, and uh, dudes fucking up dudes. <laughs> <laughs> And how to eat all the major food groups. I think that's, <laughs> it is, it's about healthiness first. It's about how food gives you energy. And if you eat healthy, uh, you can survive <laughs> uh, being shot by a bullet at point blank range. And if you stick around to the end, you get a pretty good stew recipe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought, I, I thought that stew didn't look too bad. <laughs> it looks pretty good. Yeah. It looks really it's good. Hearty. Yeah, you see why someone would wander in and be like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like look, I don't know where everyone is, but this stew is irresistible. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. And I, I'm so excited that this was a movie chosen. We'll talk more about uh, my history with it when we get into the movie more, but uh, yeah, I had a long history with this movie, and it's but it had been a while since I since I had seen it, and so mm-hmm. getting a chance to revisit it for this show uh, was exciting, and it held up very well. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was I was kind of amazed at how how good this movie just is. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's like just legit a good ass movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just like a good genre movie or like oh good for what it is. It's it's just I it's a good movie period you hear about these production woes in the background and yes it was directed by a woman named antonia bird uh this is the only horror movie that she directed well this is the last movie she directed yeah yeah she passed away um actually doing some consulting for the xx the uh female-led anthology movie movie from a few years ago yeah it's really cool Mm -hmm. and um she actually consulted on that and was maybe going to do a segment in it passed away Shame. Yeah, but she was she took over for a director that it sounds like it was kind of a mess, but mostly the producer's fault for having these insane demands and scheduling and budgeting. He uh, stood up for the director who had gotten fired and oh. after it was over, I think, said, like, no, no, not his fault. <laughs> like, 
uh, uh, Fox 2000, I think was what it was called at the time. Like, they were yeah. nuts. So <laughs> You're right. It is just an awesome movie movie, and you can't tell how much chaos was going on right right it's it's such a it's such a personal vision it doesn't feel like it was this thing that was kind of like (laughs) forced through right right (laughs) painful childbirth process (laughs) although if someone told me that david arquette left on the third day i would believe that (laughs) <laughs> he does leave the movie for a bit doesn't he and then he's kind of <laughs> he's, he's back for like 10 seconds and like... he's, yeah <laughs> uh, he had he had that scream money to chase i guess <laughs> yeah. yeah he was like i got i gotta go uh go into town so i can be alive for the second half of the movie <laughs> We'll, we'll talk much more about all that. I'm very excited. But before we do, Peter, the, the other reason why I'm so excited for this episode is it's the return of our Spooktober recaps and uh, segments where we, Peter, so Peter and I, if you haven't heard our episodes the last couple of years, every year we try to watch 31 new to us horror movies during the month of October. We uh, obsessively make lists uh, of what we're gonna watch beforehand, uh, to the point that I think Peter, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you messaged me last December and said, "Hey, I have this list on Letterbox set to private because it's embarrassing." But FYI, I started making my 2018 Spooktober list, and I said, "Well, I didn't even bother to make mine private, but if you look there, there is already a 200 list of movies that I was considering for Spooktober." <laughs> 2018. So we have a problem. Uh, last year, um, and we usually we shoot for 31, but we've be- we've definitely had like a little bit of a. I think we both did. Uh, I think you did like 50 last year, and I did 45, and it was something close to that. Like, uh, we'll talk about some of my plans for Spooktober to watch even more than I did last year. But I I definitely think we're trying our best to ruin horror movies as much <laughs> as possible for ourselves with each passing. Uh, year uh and then we're also excited to hear from luana about any halloween october fright fest type plans uh besides uh talking about ravenous and that's how i should set this up so this one uh while it's coming out the first week of october it's not october and so peter and i i think we're both on a horror movie fast minus uh, this (laughs) peter are you watching horror movies now are you you waiting just, just this. It, it, the Halloween thing is specifically sort of like a Western thing, but it's pulling from Spanish roots from All Hallows Eve. Like, does October as like a scary, spooky month mean anything in terms of cultural impact? No. <laughs> uh, is there a spooky month? There is a spooky month, but to any listeners that don't uh, know me, aka any non-dissolved posters, <laughs> I, uh, I live in Belgium. Yeah, we should have said it's four in the morning where you are. This is an amazing treat to have you up with us. Aw, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I live in Belgium, and I think, like, I knew about Halloween through cultural osmosis. Like, when I was a kid, you had the Simpsons Halloween episodes, and, of course, you know, movies that featured Halloween, such as, you know, obviously the Halloween series. Uh, <laughs> but it's only been, like, i say the last decade that, like, that, like <laughs> local merchants have been trying to push Halloween as, like, this... Uh, <laughs> This, uh, you know, another time of year that we can uh, peddle stuff to kids. And it's been it's been going quite well because, like, uh, you know, uh, TV channels have Halloween evenings now. People have Halloween parties. But it's something that was that's that's been 
like very artificially pushed through in the last decade or something just because of like you know everyone kind of knows Halloween from like American movies American TV shows so let's just start doing that too it's fun everybody loves <laughs> ghosts and, um, and yeah um that's um i i love horror as well um i my wife doesn't <laughs> uh so i only ever rarely watch horror like i love movies in general but like i'm not gonna force my wife to watch anything she doesn't want to so usually i usually i watch horror by myself uh ravenous ironically um, upon revisiting it i found it so good that i got my wife hyped and we're gonna watch it this weekend <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, uh, and I, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just like, I basically just kind of laid out the themes for her that it like dismantles like the the myth of manifest destiny and that it just really deconstructs these sort of old patriarchal um, rule patterns and and like and it has a killer cast and it's directed by a lady <laughs> and she was all like, oh yeah, wow, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into that. Oh, and it has music by Damon Albarn from Blur. Yeah. <laughs> and she yes. was like holy shit why are you telling me this now she's like a big uh, he's a big indie uh, like Britpop fan <laughs> so, um, so that really sold her even though I don't watch or I'm just like on a practical level I don't get to watch yeah. much horror uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I I am very varied um, like there's not much that uh, turns me off let's say I mean obviously I don't simply like everything but I'll yeah. just I'll watch I'll watch 70s exploitation I'll watch Bloomhouse bullshit I'll watch uh, <laughs> uh, I'll watch old Japanese monster movies, um, uh, 80s slashers. Yeah, you do talk about monster movies, I found out, outside of uh, this this tiny reference <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, um, me and my buddy Travis Kirkland, um, we, we used to have a blog. Uh, we started out with Godzilla, like we wrote up every Godzilla movie, then we did every Gamera movie, which we then kind of poured into a, into two self-published books. Um, and we, like last year, we started a podcast called Monster Island Commentaries, where we just kind of uh, shoot the shit over over a kaiju or, or a big monster movie, doesn't matter if it's Japanese or American. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been very fun. We've we've done. We've done stuff varying from obviously the original Gojira to like um, uh, the Power Rangers movie <laughs> to um, uh, and we, we've been we've, we've been starting to branch out this year because like we, we've because uh, <laughs> you know we're it's so based on our interplay that for our yeah. birth, for our birthday months uh, we just took randomly uh, like non kaiju affiliated uh, special movie the movies that were special to us. And awesome. uh, thank you. Uh, like this month, uh, ironically, uh, Travis is uh, Travis's birthday is in the Halloween month. We're going to talk about one of his favorite movies, which is the original Ghostbusters. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, last April, we talked about one of my favorite movies of all time, Commando. <laughs> <laughs> Commando rules. It's, yeah. per- it's literally a perfect Matt movie. I saw Singer uh, posting about that on, uh, on Twitter today, that he's determined after 30 years of scientific research that Commando is the best movie of all time. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, can, I can pop that shit in. And, and, and just go at any time. Anyone, anyone ask me, hey, you want to watch Commando? Like, sure. <laughs> it's so like ha- off some steam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so have you gotten to, on your commentary tracks, 
Have you gotten to the American remake of Godzilla from 1998? And if you have, which one, you know, from a from a perspective of someone who doesn't live in America, what is the worst worst crime of America uh, Americans? <laughs> is it the Godzilla remake or Manifest Destiny? <laughs> well, it's Manifest Destiny, but uh, <laughs> uh, but but you know, honestly, uh, the Godzilla remake is uh, I have to shoulder the blame for that one because the director was German, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's that's not, it's not just Hollywood. It's uh, <laughs> it, it is a it is it was made by a big Hollywood fanboy straight out of Europe. Uh, I remember behind the scenes, Roland Emmerich quote being like, "Ah, when I was in film school, all my classmates they love Wim Wenders, but I love Star Wars." <laughs> that's true. We have been as Americans been taking the blame for Godzilla in 1998. And you raised a very interesting point that if anything, we should be blaming Germany, like we. Do for so many things <laughs> in our country. As Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus points out, y'all have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's excellent. So do you have um, – so with, with Halloween being like something – I love the idea of like – Hey, like a country that's not using Halloween, it's like McDonald's going around the world, like probably doing studies and trying to figure out, like, <laughs> is there a market for for burgers in <laughs> India? But like, instead, it's like, is there a market for uh, candy corn and uh, spooky light up skeletons that talk? I like, I I love the idea of some some marketing team doing that. So uh, now that you've somewhat adopted it, do yeah. you have any specific? Any specific Spooktober plans? Are you going trick-or-treating? Are you planning to go to a horror movie night? Uh, I'm a whole grown-ass adult, so I'm not going to go trick-or-treating. Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, that's that's true. That was a weird thing to ask. No, I mean, yeah, you could I mean, I could have had kids, I guess. But, um, no, we, we just, we got invited to, um, over to a friend's house to have a Halloween party. We'll probably have some, some drinks, some snacks. I, I don't know if we'll even watch a movie, because, like, it's me and my wife are the biggest movie uh, people in our friend circle, so maybe it'll just be friends hanging out. Um, I got a. I'll probably dress as a flapper. Not very scary, <laughs> but this is like my first year in transition, so uh, I'm just very proud to be able to dress as a flapper. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, that is terrific. But again, it's an American costume for an American holiday, right? So yeah. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Oh, thank you. Before we kind of talk talk about some movies or what our lists are made up of this year, do you have any like big Halloween? Uh, spooktober plans that you're doing in LA in Griffith Park. There's a haunted hayride. Guys jumping out of the out of the shadows, and they do these all these different sets, like a haunted prison and shit. And then and the cart kind of travels you through all these different sets. You get out and you walk in a haunted house. I did that last year. I totally want to do that again this year. And the last year we went with like six or seven people, uh, all my brother's friends, his wife. Uh, this year. Um, none of them want to go except for my brother and I. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. How odd do you think you'd be considered if you went to a haunted hayride by yourself? <laughs> do you think you would be accepted by the other, the other participants? I'd would, probably be the spookiest person there. Yeah, I think you would be. Yeah. Because nothing's scarier than loneliness. Too, yeah. <laughs> loneliness. <laughs> Isolation. <laughs> you could just wear for your costume like an I'm with stupid t-shirt that just points up. <laughs> just i'm just throwing out suggestions so so no real no real plans no yet. so so i guess uh for you aaron you have yeah. uh two children mm -hmm. 
are they going to want to go trick-or-treating? Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my four-year-old, I mean, who was three last year, I mean, she was all in for Halloween last year. I did a very good job. She, We went to those Halloween towns, those uh, uh, places where you get costumes, and we had, like... We got her two different costumes um, because she was so excited about one for school and one for trick-or-treating. Um, she would go up to all the, like, gross um, giant <laughs> monsters and hit the buttons so they jump out. And she would – like, other people in the store were, like, watching her because she was so into it uh, because she was just, like – she would have the spider pop out in her face and she'd go do it again. <laughs> Meanwhile, my wife and I are like, is, is this going to, are we doing damage? Like, I don't know if she, <laughs> she is three. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see how she does this year for that stuff. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's once she, she's, a, she's a year older, she has a little more sense of mortality and the idea that you can be scared of things, but mm-hmm. she's never really expressed too much of like a scary thing at movies. And, and she, again, the, the, the the kind of confusing parenting thing like you'll watch something with her and all of a sudden something will get scary and you'll be like should we turn it off and then we'll ask her we'll give her like the choice but again you know she's four you shouldn't always take what a four-year-old wants to do is as what but but so she she has seen i think a lot of movies that are that are kind of scary and and we've already been talking about um you know i think we're gonna try Coraline this year um maybe nightmare before christmas um uh, some other stuff like that. So I think we're going to bump it up from like the chipmunk Halloween special we did last <laughs> year and we'll see what happens. And if uh, I have to start canceling podcasts because I don't get sleep because my daughter oh. <laughs> nightmares, Peter, you'll know the experiment went poorly uh, <laughs> under those circumstances. Uh, and then the other big but thing yeah, that I'm looking for gateway horror movies for. Her. Yeah, I'm trying like maybe next year we do the witches mm-hmm. oh, baby God. steps. Still scares me. I think Paranorman's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I have that one. I so that good. I think that's a good idea. We well, we just watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> that, that, that's scary at thirty three. <laughs> no, between the between the boat ride scene and like she was asking me if the kids had died, and Sean and I were like looking at each other like, well, and Sean and I were also looking at each other because we have a disagreement about whether the kids. Died or not. <laughs> so like it also was like I didn't want to be like I'm sorry, honey, I'm telling you my side of the story, which is those kids are murdered. <laughs> this is my head cannon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, she, and she's watched what the princess bride, she calls it when she wants to watch the princess bride, she always forgets the name. Uh, she says she wants to watch the movie with the guy whose arm gets all bloody. <laughs> so, That's so, fucking great. Um, so she's definitely my kid. And, uh, so yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited to report back on some of those adventures go as, as the month, uh, progresses. And then the thing I'm excited about that I am doing this year is, uh, we just, op- there just was an Alamo theater that opened a couple months ago, which I've gone to a couple times and had a, just a great time. Um, Every now, it, everyone raving about uh, going to see movies at the Alamo makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, and they're doing Dismember the Alamo, which is kind of an eight-hour thing on a Saturday afternoon where they show four horror movies that you don't know what they are until you get there. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah, I'm ex- hopefully to try to get my numbers up for new movies. They're ones I haven't seen. Looking at uh, past rosters because it actually varies by location. So someone at each location kind of gets to uh, – I think it seemed like they probably have a choice of a certain amount of movies. But 
Uh, I think there's a chance I'll definitely be rewatching some stuff, so I'm excited about that. Um, also, they're doing uh, they're doing repertory screenings on Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, which I'm going to try to see. Uh, this is Spiria 4K remaster. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, Peter, for a Halloween episode, we both need to get out to the theater to see uh, Halloween 2018, which comes out uh, uh, the third week of October. But, yeah, so, uh, so Peter, wh- how, how did you create your list this year? What are some highlights that you're really looking forward to watching? Uh, and then I'll share mine, and then we'll, we'll get into some ravenous talk. Without getting uh, too boring, the- <laughs> I've been, this is the fourth year tracking on Letterboxd. Every year, there's some spillover from previous years. And this year, a bunch of stuff came out on Blu-ray or ended up on VOD uh, that all of a sudden I can see, which is amazing. There's also stuff like, since we were building that list of women-directed horror movies, some of my movies from that that we didn't do for that month are spilling over to my list because now I really need to see Revenge and Prevenge. Uh, <laughs> Both are very good. That's uh that that helped build part of my list and yeah it's some spillover and as always uh, the key to not burning out is staying diverse so I've got a couple silent movies in there as well and some new stuff like Happy Death Day that I've been purposefully saving for this month. Awesome. Uh, I'm actually starting the month. I don't, I, Peter, I don't even know if I told you this off mic, but I took the first and the second off of work so that I can get a head start on you. Uh, <laughs> specifically, I'm going to turn this into a challenge. Uh, but yeah, so that'll, um, you know, that's probably like four or five movies I could do each of those days. So, uh, I, I am excited about that. Um, I, you know, uh, it's one of the advantages of like I had some PTO and I haven't really taken we you know we had a kid this year and we moved and I haven't really taken a day that's just like a, a day for me to just relax a little without the kids and uh, everything else. So I was like, I want to take two days and watch a bunch of horror movies when I'm really excited. So that's what I'm doing. But also to beat you specifically, Peter. And then I'm uh, my list again. I, I really tried to mix it up. I tried to kind of work in some things that I've done, like mini themes in previous years, like kid horror movies or um, or anthology horror movies. So I tried to add a couple of those in, as well as some. Um, I'm I'm really like I'm gonna try starting the the year with uh, Quieten which has been on my last three years of this and I still haven't gotten to because it's three hours and then I save it and I'm like, I could get in three horror movies because <laughs> most horror movies are an hour long. So I don't have time for Quieten. So I, I'm going to try to start with that. And then I think there's a there's almost, if I was going to say there's like a mini theme to my list this year, it is movies that Peter has raved about on the last couple spookovers. <laughs> Uh, because I, I'm very, the ones I'm actually most excited about, I think are stuff like Messiah of Evil and what have you done with Solange? And, um, I'm looking over my list. Uh, let's scare Jessica to death. Uh, three of my favorites shot corridor, the abdominal doctor's Phoebes, um, Fives. Blood in Black Lace. <laughs> Five, sorry. Um, fascination. Like, these are all things that you've kind of raved to me about over the last couple of years that I just haven't got a chance to watch yet. And now they're, yeah, they're really high on my uh, ex- excitement list. But I started with a list of 220. It's down to 59, which is I'm not going to watch 59. So... Uh yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be some paring down even further, but um, it's funny you say that because I I'm mostly excited for this month I re- to make you watch like Messiah of Evil and Doctor Fibes and and those movies. Um, 
because I think you'll really love them. And then maybe we have an excuse to do them on the show. Um, Lou, kind of pointing to something you said, I'm trying hmm? to find more movies this month that I, my uh, fiance will actually want to watch because she does not like horror movies either. Right, right. And so I'm trying to get some like stuff that's not as scary or stuff that's more, you know, maybe women focused. I, I don't know exactly. I still six years later, I've not figured out exactly what about horror movies she doesn't like. And, and maybe it's just that it's like all of our dorky thing and it's she's just coming into it too late. I don't know if anything is actually scaring her or not. So maybe leaning into like kids horror is not going to help anymore. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a trick with your wife? Um, for me, what always works is to have a uh, horror movie that's either funny, like a good like Sam Raimi drag me to hell type of deal. That's not that doesn't feel um, really exploitative, or something that has a lot of character that really uh, bothers to to delve into the characters and have empathy with them, uh, like Get Out, or and or simply something. And this is sometimes rough with horror because like horror. Um, fetishizes female helplessness simply to have something where women don't suffer throughout the movie and then maybe maybe have some victorious moment at the end like like you're next that's a good one yeah so yeah uh, I would say humor character and a (laughs) not too Catholic view of women (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because my my wife likes horror and as a matter of fact when we first started dating right we maybe we've been together a while she had said oh yeah my favorite genre is horror movies i was like great so the first thing i go to show her which had just been released i think uh on dvd was and i was excited to watch it again was the evil dead remake Oh, no. <laughs> um, that is still in her mind one of the worst movies ever made she's zero <laughs> stars uh so I had to figure out what she meant by likes horror movies, and it was not the one of the goriest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is not what that Leafly meant. Like, gory. Yeah, she's like, no, I meant like something that's scary, not like the grossest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I think like I think if you compare like the the Fede Alvarez Evil Dead to like something like Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, which is like extremely gory. Yeah, um, my wife enjoyed Brain Dead. It was a funny movie because it, it's basically a Bugs Bunny. Car- cartoon with entrails you know yeah um, oh yeah i watched it recently and i like forgot a how how insane it is that they did it yeah, for that. it goes nuts right <laughs> yeah yeah but b how fucking funny every second of it is yeah it being like more of a horror comedy it's funny every second it's amazing the zombie baby is essentially like mm-hmm. baby herman from, <laughs> from <laughs> roger rabbit um like, like the actual intestinal track that's a sentient being that chases our hero <laughs> like that that's not crazy it's like uh, if i was in a new line um new line exec i'd be like yeah this guy can do lord of the rings on a on a budget <laughs> yeah it seems like an obvious choice when you put it <laughs> you watch that you watch meet the feebles you're like I can't think of a better option. <laughs> Honestly, please give him all the money. <laughs> hey, if you look at the orcs in Lord of the Rings, some real love went into those masks. <laughs> it's an interesting conversation because I think horror is something that you either, it's either in your blood or it's not. And everyone has a different view of what it should be. And if it is in your blood, Peter, it'd be very tasty to the protagonists of our movies. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about Ravenous? Let's! <laughs>
tagline. Meet me the musical fruit. The more you eat, the more they scream. There you go. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I am quick recap. So the movie starts. Uh, Guy Pierce is a soldier in the Spanish-American War. Mexican-American War. He essentially tries to uh, abandon his uh, his unit. He ends up hiding in a place where they dump a bunch of bodies and he inhales blood or not inhales it. I guess he what a badass! Um, he inhales the smokes blood. Some blood, baby. Vapes yeah. blood. Oh, yeah. No, he's inhaled. Uh, <laughs> he smoked. He smoked blood in the military, but he didn't inhale it. <laughs> sort of ends up accidentally taking the fort um, and the, his commanding officers are like, well, you suck. And we should probably kill you, but you're also a hero, so we're going to promote you and go throw you out into uh, the middle of the Sierra Nevada. Um, So he goes there. He meets his uh, post mates. Uh, Jeffrey Jones is the commanding officer. There's David Arquette. They do this great sequence where they quickly introduce everyone. Like, it's like the opening credits of a sitcom. Uh, (laughs) Very quickly. Uh, but there's like a soldier. There's this cast is amazing. We'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, it's a rogues gallery. <laughs> great character actors. Absolutely. So so they hang out for a little bit. He is a very talkative individual. Guy Pierce got a lot to say. <laughs> uh, he just he just basically looks mopey until Robert Carlyle arrives and he's like, hey, guess what? Uh, my my uh, we were we were on a mission. We were we were traveling in a wagon and. We basically relived the Donner Party, and there's still the commanding officer who's a dickhead and um, someone's wife out there. You you can come and stop him. So they lead him to him. Meanwhile, there's all this other weird stuff that's happening, um, like uh, Robert Carlyle's character licking uh, <laughs> Davis in the middle of the night. Uh, he licked uh, me. <laughs> he licked me. Um, and uh, so they get to the cave and uh, Guy Pierce goes in uh, with M- Neil McDonough and they go, hey, there's no one else here. And there's tons more skeletons that you <laughs> described. It's a trap. And meanwhile, Robert Carlyle kills, uh, starts killing people outside. Uh, they come out and try to fight him. Uh, Neil McDonough ends up in a pit. Guy Pierce shoots Robert Carlyle point break. Not point break. I just point blank. Surf <laughs> oh, yeah, into a different movie. Like, surfs over him. Um, and uh, and but he gets right back up. So uh, Guy Pierce jumps off a cliff, ends up in the same hole. Ironically, all all roads down that hill lead to the same <laughs> hole. Uh, and uh, and so Robert Carlyle is is hanging out in the forest, taking people back and eating them. Meanwhile, Guy Pierce next to a dead Neil McDonough can't. Can't contain himself anymore and eventually eats him. Gets the strength to survive. He goes back to the general that initially assigned him to the post and describes the story. The general's like, you're fucking nuts. Maybe you want to recant it. Anyways, we have the new commanding officer to the fort coming. And lo and behold, the new colonel is Robert Carlyle. Um, He confronts him and is like, this is no, this is the guy. This is the guy that was eating people. And uh, (laughs) when they go to look for his wounds, they find no wounds. And they're like, funnily enough, they're like, Guy Pierce, you're nuts. Anyways, go back (laughs) with them. (laughs) Um, um, But so they go back and Robert Carlyle uh, has uh, has turned uh, Jeffrey Jones into a cannibal. Because if you uh, if you eat 
the the meat or the blood of another, you gain their strength. Yeah, very reminiscent of the common vampire myth. Right, um, right. They eventually kind of eat their way through most of the camp. Their plan is like this is this is the gateway to the west. As people come here, we'll eat them, and the more people we have. Um, the better off we'll be for safety. So eventually what ends up happening is uh, Jeffrey Jones feels guilty. He asks uh, Guy Pierce to kill him, which he does. There's a standoff between Guy Pierce and Robert Carlyle, which they both eventually end up in a bear trap because someone is very sneaky. And <laughs> the kind of the ending line of the movie is, I know if you die first, I'll eat you. The question is to Guy Pierce. Will you eat me? Uh, and then the general finally shows up at the fort and eats the stew that was made of human flesh, uh, making the audience believe that uh, this will live on uh, in the general uh, as well. So, yeah, it's that's kind of a long, long recap. And that's because the movie really is very plotty. And yeah. it has these moments that in a lot of movies you would – think is the end like it really takes this three-act structure and like uses it well like where there really are almost like a dividing line of okay this is where he's uh they're going to the cave and then now it's the story is going to change pretty pretty dramatically when um robert carlisle is shown to kind of be in the trust of the general and there was no one to go after so it it really is a fantastic movie i saw it for the first time in high school it was one of those movies where I was working at a video rental store and I was just kind of going through everything that I hadn't seen in the new release aisle, especially. And so like this and Cube and Pie and other movies that weren't one word titles, uh, they were all like these movies that I'd never heard about, period, or had barely heard anything about them and felt like I was discovering them and falling in love. So this this kind of ended up on my first high school incarnation of my top 100 movie list. Um, and I've, I've, I've kind of loved it ever since. But like a lot of movies from that time, I just was so evangelical about showing this <laughs> in high school and at college that like – you know, I kind of got to that point where it's not that I disliked the movie, but it was like, oh, I – probably don't need to watch that again i know everything that happens in it um and so i was very excited to revisit it and as i kind of already mentioned find out that it uh my my high school and college impression of it holds up very well um i think we're gonna have a lot to talk about luana do you want to sort of step in and and tell us like why you picked this movie or what draws this movie to you generally and uh, what's your history with it uh i think that um being a non-american raised on american pop culture always made me very aware of like the the cultural tropes we talked about halloween being like very artificially uh, imported mm -hmm. in europe for, like the last decade or so and like there are certain um uh, cultural touchstones let's say that we just have no basis for here that we just completely um, absorb through osmosis through cultural osmosis this movie does a really good job at sort of puncturing a few of the quintessential like sort of american archetypes uh the veteran the settler the cowboy because like guy pierce he's a veteran but he he's kind of a pussy and a coward the settlers are basically the whole concept of of manifest destiny is just this great evil in this movie the cowboy the western setting is is 
constantly taken the piss out of, uh, thanks to Antonia Bird's cartoonish direction and um, Damon Albarn's like sort of yeah. almost wacky parody music at times. Like, ooh, we're down for a hoot nanny boy <laughs> with uh, mm-hmm. when like uh, Jason and there's like this weird sort of indie bluegrass thing going on while while there's a cannibal chase happening. I thought that I could have an interesting perspective on <laughs> on a movie that handles these themes. I completely agree. That's a great perspective to view it from because I think Americans especially take their own culture for granted in that sense where we accept certain things within our own media without even really thinking about it and the Western as an archetype is so second nature to us. Yeah, right, right. Uh, all the tropes, all the archetypes are just kind of built into us where I'm like, well, yeah, I know that guy. This is what we can generally expect from that guy. Right, right. And you go you go from there. That you brought it on is, is interesting because Damon Albarn, Antonia Bird is also a Brit. Yeah. Carlisle is <laughs> a Scottish. Yeah, yeah. Guy Pierce is Australian, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Very little of the cast is actually native, uh, I guess. <laughs> there are two native <laughs> It's so funny you say that because when I first saw the movie and saw it over and over, you know, I was right, obviously right. in my in my teens and early twenties. The manifest destiny and kind of the critique of and the horrors that kind of were wrought by by that I uh, cultural right, right. And, and national concept, like mm-hmm. I missed all of that. And so watching it again, it actually took me a while to really put that in in place. And it wasn't until like. This sounds so stupid when Robert Carlyle is really like talking about this is manifest destiny. Like we are going to pillage and kill and we we are going to manifest their destiny. Like yeah. <laughs> essentially lays it out pretty clearly. And, and I was like, oh, I don't know why. You know, something it's like sometimes it, a song you listen to over and over. Like if you weren't in tune with it and were focusing on other things, which I was focusing on the cool horror aspects and, right, and right. the vamp- vampiric stuff like, you know, that just became a little bit more <laughs> white noise as I listened to it over and over and over again. So having the distance from it, it's a little <laughs> embarrassing because it's very clear. But but uh, it, it was like seeing a movie with a with a lot more depth than I um, had remembered. Especially if you saw it first when you were a teen. There's a, like there's just a lot that you assume about your own culture that's yeah. that's just normal to you. That's not it's not yeah. your culture. It's it's normality. And if you um if you bring in like an outsider, it's like, hey, that's kind of interesting, like this and that, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess that is. I guess these are uh, traits that can be described. It's not just normal background noise. Um, and I think, yeah, the the Western is, um, you know, is so artificial for us. Mm-hmm. It might as well be sci-fi, you know. Yeah. So I, I guess I always, um, I always responded to those, um, to that piss take. I guess uh, <laughs> pretty well. And I, I'm actually, uh, Aaron, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned. Uh, you've mentioned a, a couple times now. You mentioned vampires because this is. This often gets uh, sort of categorized as a cannibal movie, whereas I think that, uh, well, I suppose technically it's dudes eating each other, so 
technically it fits, but thematically it's it's a lot more of a vampire movie because like the the blood and the flesh is used to regenerate. Like there's this sort of interview with the vampire esque like oh should I partake or not kind of moral uh, dilemma and the guilt that comes with it too. Yeah, like exactly. With Jeffrey Jones's character. Mm-hmm. If I hear cannibal movie, I just think of like you know the Italian exploitation like oh let's go to the jungle and watch some you know freaky brown people eat <laughs> eat, uh, eat documentary crews. You know it's more like gawk at the degenerates. That's what a cannibal movie uh, usually is. Yeah, and we're doing like a whole month of cannibal movies in November. Oh, <laughs> Raw, Spider Baby, um, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's the it's going to be called the family that eats together stays together. So it really is about <laughs> like cannibalism among families. <laughs> and the thing is with those is those are all people that have just gotten into either a situation where cannibalism is necessary or they've socialized cannibalism amongst themselves. Right. right. And this it's interesting because they bring in the Wendigo curse. And the Wendigo curse is a specific Native American curse. I, I'm not exactly which ethnic groups within that uh, actually believe in this this thing, but it's a um, it's basically a, yeah it's a type of demon or, or vampire where you. You consume the flesh. It's basically trying to build in the cultural more don't eat people. Yeah, right. <laughs> the very common cultural more. Not 100% common in the world, but very common. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the Wendigo, making it more of like a curse or a disease definitely, I think, puts it more in line with vampire movies. Right. I think you're right. I think it's it's less about cannibalism as, as a necessity and more about cannibalism as this like need to consume this capitalist imperialist need to consume right right it's a curse on you and you can't let it go Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well and they really underline that with the first person that robert carlisle eats right because he eats the person that tells him about the curse and like tells them here's how you gain power and he goes okay well i'm gonna eat you then Mm -hmm. and that's like such a common theme when you look at like the history of capitalism or, (laughs) or the united states which is like People, once they get a taste of money and wealth, kind of stepping on anyone, even like loved ones or mentors or anything else to take their money. There's, you know, the the newspapers are riddled with like two business friends and one of them, you know, crushes the other one right, because right. then they can get a little more money. And this is this is really starting from Robert Carlyle's perspective as that is um, yeah. Manifest Destiny is not about how much we as a society or we as a culture. It's what I can get for myself at the expense of right, right. Uh, anyone who I decide is not worthy. I, I want to pick up on that because like um, when I rewatched it last week, one thing really struck me. Guy Pierce's character, let's say that his lowest point is in the flashback when he's in the corpse pit. I feel like that's a. I think there's a general consensus low point for something. <laughs> like when he when he inhales the blood, as we say. Yeah. <laughs> and and let's say that his moral victory at the end is when he's on, lying on top of Carlisle and says, "Fuck no, nah, I'm not gonna eat you. I'm gonna you know withhold. I'm not gonna partake. I'm gonna die with honor." Right. So here we have a character that, like at the end of the movie, uh, the start and at the end of the movie, is shown as like his low point is being under a dead man. And his and his his moral apotheosis is being on top of a dead man. Interesting. So, what I feel the movie is saying is that there is no there is no way out of of capitalism out of imperialism. Like like you just said, like you you always you can only get one up by destroying the next guy. 
Mm-hmm. There, there is no. The movie is saying there is no ethical way to do this. Uh, Guy Pierce's only honorable way out is to die. You, you, you can't. You can't be. The movie is saying you can't be a good Wendigo because <laughs> because that yeah. that's that's always gonna end up hurting others. And um, that really struck me last time, like how yeah. specifically anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist it is. You're right. His victory is dripping blood on someone else. Where his where where the the opposite was true. That is that is something I never even picked up on, and is an amazing call out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I also want to because uh, that that struck me. Uh, you when you did the plot recap just now, uh, you ended it with like, oh, the movie uh, the movie says that ooh, the the general eats the stew, and that the it leaves the audience with like the fear that oh, the Wendigo curse will continue. Uh, whereas what struck me about the ending of the movie is the native lady Martha like she mm-hmm. she she watches them in the bar and just goes like ah oh, fuck this and she's yeah. like she's out and like that's yeah. the last shot of the movie her her walking away from the camp uh-huh i think that is a very specific like i think that's the ending message of the movie like you have Martha and you have the general there's the general the white man is like just just out of sheer curiosity, he just tastes the stew, right? And 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 Martha goes, "Nah, fuck this, I am out." <laughs> the the general is powerful white man, and Martha is the she's the native lady. She is she is a um she's a group that is not in power. While the general is like the ultimate societal power, the ultimate societal power in an imperialist capitalist society will inevitably be drawn to to hurting others, to to destroying others, to keep their power structures standing. You know, you either opt out like Guy Pierce, or you never opt in in the first place like Martha. The final message of the movie is saying that like there are people that and fuck this. Yeah, that there are people that actually say you know this Wendigo shit is for the birds. <laughs> you know that the, uh, some of us don't care for that at all and don't find it appealing at all. And I think that um, someone like Antonia Bird, like a real, uh, you know, a non-American, non-male perspective, um, really helped with um, with crystallizing that. I think you're 100 percent right. It's amazing, like missing all that stuff and really seeing it through the prism um, of most of my life, which I carried over a lot to this watching as well because of that memory of like a, a Twilight Zone ending. Like I am programmed, and I. Think think a lot of people who watch right, horror right. movies are that a horror movie always ends with a twist where the horror isn't necessarily dead as you point out that is what's happening here but it's not the literal horror of now the general is going to go eat someone it's the concept of that he walked in and you know was like you said tempted like yeah, yeah. He, he he didn't question that this soup was for him exactly like, and that, that he could eat it and that's that's the horrific part and then right, like, right, right. The, the the triumph of the movie is yeah walking away from it. I think you're 100% right. It's just, yeah, I'm seeing text or I've seen text and missed what what the underlying... Like, I forgot that was the last shot of the movie. I really did. I thought the last shot was him eating the stew and I thought it went to the credit. Uh, no, no, it's 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 uh, it's like a pull back from uh, from Martha yeah. walking away. So, sorry. And it is nice that Martha gets to get away, especially yeah. Martha's partner Martha's, Martha's partner gets like an ignominious very yeah. death. Like he doesn't get the offer to come back as a cannibal, right? Like I I think that now that you mention that Pete, that may be like the the racial compartment of capitalism that's like only the white dudes seem to be offered in on this, you know? <laughs> like, no. Yeah, I think Martha would just be meat otherwise. Yeah, because in Robert Carlyle's plan, like, 
he's he's saying he's basically getting people that will benefit him even if they're like they're going to be reporting to him and native american doesn't help him draw in other people to be eaten um but you know a colonel protects him in a way so he's he's it's basically yeah it's it's saying that because of the way that um society has valued you Keeping you is not a value proposition for me. What's unique about this to the vampire myth, though, that I was just thinking about is that because of that specific sort of pyramid structure and the only way that you get more power is by bringing more people in or by consuming people. It's a direct condemnation of Amway. (laughs) But like vampires can't drink other vampires blood like that. Usually like they can like uh, there's there's a couple moments I can think in vampires movies where they use other vampires blood as like a trap. uh, Yeah. Like the idea of you. Gross. This is Steve. Yeah. The the blood that's in a vampire is usually useless. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Or even poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. Or it might be one of those vampire movies where they have no blood at all. They're just kind of like dry husks. But Robert Carlyle brings in Jeffrey Jones and even though you're like, does he have any respect for Jeffrey Jones? Does he really think Jeffrey Jones can help that much? It's like, it's like, no, he just knew that Jeffrey Jones was just malleable enough that right, right. He, he, he could be useful, but not a threat. Right, right. And then when the time comes, Jeffrey Jones is meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that aspect of it. I also think that works for the metaphor of capitalism, because in, in the vampire mythos where you can't eat someone else, it is this idea of once you're in the club, you're in the club and you have a semblance of protection from right, your right. fellow capitalists or robber barons or whatever else. Um, it's only the outside world that would care enough to hurt you in most cases, where in this one, uh, yeah, Robert Carlyle can still eat the other person who is in the same uh, level as him because that's how capitalism works. Like, yeah, exactly. Still, yeah, <laughs> you can still take – just because you're a $100 billion company, you can still get destroyed by another $100 billion <laughs> Exactly. Like, like there's right. no protection even right, right, if right. you have signed off completely into uh, their their morality and world. Yeah, right, right. Just because you helped somebody out in capitalism does not mean that the next day you can't go in and fuck them immediately. Right. Well, I mean, in, in a weird way, that's what we're, I mean, we're seeing that in the Trump administration. I don't want to get too political just because it ends up depressing all of us. But like <laughs> there was this idea in the Trump administration, I think, for a lot of people that joined it was that if I stick with this guy, I'm going to be protected. And what they found as Trump is the ap- ultimate capitalist, <laughs> nothing to offer but will take advantage of anyone else for for money. He has thrown tons and tons of people under the bus to the wolves to let them get eaten alive and still more people like, you know, it didn't protect them by by sucking up to them because eventually he got sick of them and turned <laughs> to someone else. And I have zero sympathy for any of them, but there's still people lining up. Yeah. <laughs> ready to be the next person on the basis that maybe he, the wolf won't eat him. Like, they, all want, <laughs> they all want to eat the stew. Yeah. So I hated this movie when I first saw it. That's surprising. When did you first see it? I was probably 15. I didn't get the horror comedy mix. I It felt like a movie that was like ruined in an editing room somewhere. Like it, it, I just really wanted a movie to take the themes really seriously and not make jokes about anything. And then, and then I saw it again when I was in college and I loved it. Right, right. Uh, but, but mostly as a horror movie. A lot of the themes were lost on me, apart from, you know, just comparing it to other westerns and seeing, you know, where it differed and what it was doing with these archetypes and the fact that Guy Pierce usually would be, like, the guy that betrays everybody 
in a Western and, you know, becomes like a secondary villain. Whereas in this, he's ostensibly the hero hero. <laughs> Anyways, so... Uh, but then, and then I saw again recently for the show and like all the themes are just laid out there. Like I was, I was such a young, dumb kid, apparently (laughs) the themes are all there. And the, and and even the, the production all sort of clicked for me on this recent watch where I was like, oh, this is a very serious movie. It has a lot of serious things to say, but it also has a good sense of humor about itself. And I love that you, you said it's a real movie, Luana. Yeah. I love that's a real movie. And it's also sort of teasing real movies. Yeah. Well, and I also think, um, you know, Peter Luana had it completely right that when when we when I we both watched it like in high school or college, like high school is nothing but like when it comes to like history, it's like <laughs> it's just nothing but propaganda in the United States for capitalism being in a hundred percent of good lawful right. good capitalism, <laughs> best system on the planet, and um, manifest destiny. Was I mean, I don't know if you were taught in history through high school that, like, Manifest Destiny was an absolute uh, unequivocal good for the country. It gave us all our land and all our power. So, like, the idea that I would see this. What? (laughs) No, I mean, so the idea that I would see this and go, when Robert Carlos talking about Manifest Destiny, of course, at that point in my life anyways, like, I wasn't going to go and think – this is a critique of this because this is what it ultimately is, is him benefiting at the uh, on the dreams of people trying to look for a better life. I saw it as like, yeah, Manifest Destiny, the West. I get it. Like, of course, like I just didn't have the context outside of kind of the, uh, you know, propaganda version of America's history that we're, we're taught from elementary school to high school. Oh, that that's absolutely existentially terrifying. I, I had no idea you guys were taught that manifest destiny is a is is a is an equivocal unequivocal good. That that's insane. I mean, there's some really good. There's some really really good books about how fucked up America's <laughs> history teaching is in in high school and in public schools. Uh, I, if you're interested more, I'd, uh, besides stuff like Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, but why that book was so revolutionary, it was like telling the story away from the propaganda version or like Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is about like some major components of history that are... But like you, you think of that stuff now, Peter, and I'm sure you do as well, and you just realize that like even any like mistake, even like the Civil War is painted as like... Yeah, some people had some bad ideas, but everyone agreed <laughs> after that that we 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 made a mistake. Like slavery, yep. Whoops! Once people told it to us, we sure we had to fight a war to learn it. But like this this idea of like um, the fact that like the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation didn't fix racial animosity is like not taught in schools. Right, it's just right. like this thing that like it it paints America as a dumb child who sometimes people had to go hey i know you thought the drinky separate drinking fountains were helping they're actually hurting and then we went oh crazy i was kind of taught manifest destiny with the this is what justified this is how people justified the uh you know conquest to themselves uh over the centuries that it took you know a lot of native americans died on the road anyways yeah i mean that's basically how it is it's like they were attacking us. We didn't know. <laughs> like, that's really yeah, how it's presented. I think in high school, I had really good history teachers that actually made me question a lot of this stuff and really focused on the, the atrocities. But throughout grade school, when you're most impressionable, right, right. I, I was like, I basically was taught um, Native American atrocities in particular 
uh, as sort of like a lot of blame oh, to go these, around. These are the three times we goofed. <laughs> Not like these. This was a system of genocide that we perpetrated on the entire continent. Yeah, we weren't taught it from that perspective. We were taught it as like, oh yeah, knee um, <laughs> and the Trail of Tears, maybe some other ones. It doesn't matter because like it's fine. There's like no Native Americans anymore. Uh, well, I and know, I still remember. I still remember my freshman year in college where I took my first history class because history always fascinated. Story and we. We read um, Alexis de Tocqueville's uh, Democracy in America, which was kind of written contemporary of post-revolutionary war. Um, that was kind of our textbook for the year's history class. And there was a lot of critiques that Tocqueville had about like America's attempt to build this country and their ideas and some of the more um, ignorant people that were leading kind of the charge and what effect that would have. Mm-hmm. And I remember having my mind like blown in that like, oh, people didn't think that the constitution everything else was just like this everyone agreed that america was was doing good like like it just it never was presented that way it is it is that idea of we we have really propagandized our own myth making to the point that you know unless unless you do have probably a teacher that is a little more willing or able depending on what the school board has allowed to to add a little more underlining it's it really is you know uh, a propaganda and and keep that in mind that most kids in america are a you know forced to attend that so there is a lot of deprogramming that needs to occur right to right. to kind of recognize like some of these things as as the evils that they were because we've been told like peter said at our most impressionable that most of this stuff, besides a few oopsies that, that <laughs> we we are also very sorry for, um, that America was nothing but a beacon of hope and good uh, for 250 years. I was in elementary school, and it was it was like the early to mid-90s. We had a lot of like the TGIF lineup. Uh, yeah. Fresh Prince, Full House, all of that. We, we had that. And I always remember, I think I was like eight, nine years old, there was this episode where on Full House, Stephanie was nervous because it was her first day in um, kindergarten. And DJ tries to like console her. Oh, kindergarten's easy. All you got to do is know the Pledge of Allegiance. So she's like, the, the the plot, her plot in the episode is that, oh no, I'll, I'll screw it up. I won't know the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was like, this was the first time I ever heard of that as a kid. Like, what's the what's the Pledge of Allegiance? Throughout the episode, it becomes clear. You have to like swear fealty to, to the flag. <laughs> and, and I was like nine years old or something. So I probably didn't think of it in this exact way, but. Like, the feeling in my brain was like, wow, America is a cult. There was literal Supreme Court cases about whether schools could punish children that didn't want to participate. For real? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, no, it's very depressing. It's always depressing also to hear it reflected back from someone who doesn't live here. It's like, I fucking knew we were... Just a big piece of shit. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if it's any consolation, you know, Belgium did a Holocaust in like the 1890. Like we killed six million Congolese. I read a book called uh, King Leopold's Ghost about it. It's a very. I heard a song called We Didn't Start the Fire that mentions it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and it's funny that they spent time before I even we even read any books about our own genocide in America. We were like, hey, but look at Belgium. <laughs> that was that was like the one thing I liked about the latest uh, Tarzan movie, The Legend of Tarzan. I was like, hey, the bad guys are the Belgians. <laughs> uh, that, that's that, that's something I'd like to see reflected. 
more like because we've been total pieces of shit in Africa. Um, <laughs> you should use us as villains more. I want I want Tarzan to strangle us. <laughs> it's hard to take moral accountability when no one, everyone's pointing fingers at the countries around you. <laughs> That's how countries do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To bring it full circle back to Ravenous, <laughs> uh, that, that's what the movie basically says. You, you can't partake in such a system without being tainted. You can't, um, yeah. you got to opt out. <laughs> yeah, and you can see why I think, um, I mean, this movie wasn't really received very well. Right. It, it was like... It made one-sixth of its budget. Oh, man, that sucks. So, so I remember seeing previews for it, which is why I ended up picking it out of the video shelf. And I actually went and pulled up some of those old trailers to make sure that I wasn't incorrectly remembering something from 19 years ago. Right. But I remember it getting advertised as a, just a goofy comedy. And Seriously? Lo and behold, <laughs> yeah. Lo and behold, I pull up the trailers. And you know how every, like, laugh line that they have, like, <laughs> they have them all. In the trailer. <laughs> um, like, that was sneaky of you. It is all played under the most bouncy of... The, oh the soundtrack God. songs <laughs> and like I like it was clear it was about cannibalism, but yeah. I thought it was going to be like in the same way, like the naked gun is about cop. <laughs> I thought that this was going to be that way about cannibalism. So when I first saw it and especially I I think the second half is more overtly comedic. I, I think most of the first half is not. Especially the scene at the cave is like yeah, it's legitimately terrifying. It's at the end of that where the soundtrack changes to the more banjo-y <laughs> fiddly. Yeah. Type yeah. But before that it is just talk like, about the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is funny though that that's how it was marketed. So when I first saw it I'm like, well that's weird. This is clearly a straight horror movie because right, right. my my expectations for a comedy were so um were so high that when it, and it starts with that quote <laughs> too, like the eat me eat me <laughs> so i was like here we go uh and then you know the first half is not funny um it's very very depressing in a lot of moments that they have a really funny joke in that like at the uh, dinner honoring boyd as a hero they all just have one big steak and i thought oh, that was yeah. funny that's good <laughs> yeah there's no vegetable yeah being <laughs> yeah. honored with this like oh it's, it's, so does anyone else do you i don't think aaron does but luana do you have a um a thing about listening to people eating like grossing you out? Uh, not particularly, but but I might get grossed out if the if the editing is good enough. <laughs> Just to drop here real quick, that moment grossed me out so much. <laughs> I'm very much a I'm very much someone who's like grossed out by the sounds of, of people. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like they do a lot of editing and the sound mixing here to make it particularly. Yeah, like, <laughs> the mic was inside their mouth. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I missed the comedy. Like, I knew there was a couple funny lines, but it wasn't until a couple times that I watched it where I started to respect it. Like, oh, I see. The second half is really funny because I just had my expectations of funny in a totally different direction to <laughs> where this movie was at based on the insane marketing campaign that they had for this movie. But I guess, I mean, I get it in some ways. Like, this feels like a movie designed to hit all of the things that audiences don't want to see at least in in the united states like westerns very hard to break break through um especially in the 90s uh, right, late right. 90s especially a cannibal movie <laughs> <laughs> there's no movie star in it it takes place in snow people don't like just to watch snowy stuff and i think it came out in like i guess february um so i i think it had a lot horror <laughs> movies in february like jeremy davies yeah, roundly rejected by 
uh, audiences Jeremy Davies, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I assume that Fox just thought they didn't have to market it because they, they had 90.99 on lock because they had the Phantom Menace coming. <laughs> yeah. They're like, never mind. This is where we can, we can, we can tip some money. Yeah, just, just drop all the other movies we're making. Just drop in the cinema. We, it's fine. It's fine. We've, we've got Anakin Skywalker. He's <laughs> <laughs> coming, that little boy, Jake Lloyd. He's going to stay in everyone's hearts forever. We've got a revolutionary um, new CGI character that everyone's going to love. <laughs> yeah. Jake Lloyd's going to be the Shirley Temple. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is going to basically be the new Jaws. <laughs> Before we do uh, move on to other stuff, uh, let's mention the soundtrack a little. I had no idea it was done by by uh, Damon Albert. Um yeah. And until until this this viewing, because I didn't get into Blur till after way after I'd seen this movie, um, and Gorillas hadn't even come out yet. And I went to go try to get the soundtrack on Spotify. I fucking loved it so much, and it's not <laughs> there. Uh, it's actually out of print. I almost bought a used a CD copy on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It is so good, and that turn right? from horror movie strings to upbeat bluegrass is mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. good. It does a couple amazing things. One, it has has a Michael Nyman did half the score. Uh, according to him, him and Damon Albarn composed completely different tracks, <laughs> and they were kind of mixed together. They didn't actually like work work together. Right, right. So Michael Nyman did the more traditional orchestral, mm-hmm. you know, string kind of music, and then he also did. I think he did the banjo stuff, mm-hmm. and then Damon Albarn did the discordant, weird, like whining uh, and more percussive sort of uh, the creepier stuff the stuff that leaves you off kilter oh interesting Damon Albarn did that and there's and there's a couple sad kind of synthy songs too which one of them did the song over the ending credits called Fort Life Fort Life (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I'm a big Damon Albarn fan I was always a a Blur fan in high school and Gorillaz Gorillaz fans still today and he's a lot of really cool albums that sort of hint at what he did here he did an album all um styled after uh, like malayan music and malayan culture called mali music right. um that's really cool and you can hear more of of this kind of style but not done in a creepy fashion done in more of like a you know rhythmic exciting or sad kind of fashion oh that's cool that's uh yeah it's a fun little album all right, sweet. I, I, I uh, always like Blur uh, and Gorillaz. Uh, I definitely like the uh, off-kilter sensibility that he brings. Off, I don't want to say off-putting, but like how, for instance, like the, I think the, the scene that caught me that made me feel weirdest, I guess, in terms of score, is when um, Turn has happened at the cave and um, Carlisle is chasing uh, Jeremy Davis. And it's yeah. just... It's just pure comedy music. It's like, wait, what? We just had the, uh, we just had the, you know, the classic strings, the, the suspense music. You know, now that the the pressure is off, we know what's happening. Now it's a chase. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna switch to that. Yeah, it's like Dukes of Hazard. Like the boys are gonna, yeah. Yeah, it's almost parodic music. You know, it's 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 uh, it's having a laugh at. Uh, at the at the genre at the uh, at this whole situation, which is which is uh, patently absurd, uh, which which I loved, which uh, I, I I didn't know how to respond to that, but uh, ultimately as the scene progressed, I was like, yeah, this is this is fucking great. Yeah, it's startling when you first hear it because because he and then Robert Carlyle says there's a pause in the music and Robert Carlyle says. Um, who's by the way? He's amazing. In- yeah, absolutely. yeah. Oh, yeah. He perfectly balances the damaged, transient sort of you know hill hill man, yeah, <laughs> um, hillbilly guy with 
the more studious and more willing to sort of debate more cunning things and just a pure fucking monster and, and the scene where and, he, and yeah in the comedy so the scene where he says like where jeremy davies is freaking out jeremy davies is sort of a nervous type mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as he tends to be <laughs> yes there's clearly something uh kind of off about him he doesn't really know how to stand up for himself and he's kind of isolated with robert carlisle who's just murdered Jeffrey Jones and he and he just turns to him and he goes run and then the <laughs> banter yeah. and yeah exactly like you said like you have no idea how to feel for a few seconds yeah. and you're like it's like you're trying to remind yourself you're like this is creepy he's about to eat that like innocent man yeah well and Peter I can kind of see I don't know if this was one of the moments when you were 15 but you mentioned that it didn't feel like it felt like it had some trouble with editing and it just didn't fit together. Yeah. I can see you being 15 and watching that and going, well, someone put the wrong soundtrack. Here. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just, like, that and just exactly. Being, it. Yeah. That and um, some of the sound effects that they put in, particularly in the beginning, like the way the title card shows up on the screen with the sort of like uh, sort of like a smash or a slash sound. Effect. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, all right. All right. We don't need it. like that was that was something that bothered me as a <laughs> some of the artificial sounds. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it is a beautiful looking movie. It's shot really, really well. Yeah. And so I was torn between like thinking like. What did that? What the hell did they do in the editing bay? And then, it, and then, as the years went on, and became a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's 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 pause a little on some of the performances because it does have a lot of great performances. Carlisle is just obviously um, not only because of the amount of screen time, but far and away um, the, <laughs> the standout. Like when he, the when he tells the story, which of course we later learn is a fiction mm-hmm. of the the uh, the wagon train that runs into problems like it is so compelling like i'm i'm gonna like i think google like audio boom or something for like robert carlisle narrated audiobooks because (laughs) he is such a good storyteller yeah yeah right just just uh, it's so compelling what he's telling and i'm not surprised everyone gets sucked in and then there's that extra level where you realize all of that was bullshit (laughs) that adds even that much more to like how how dangerous his character is at being able to uh, advertise a story that gets people to buy in mm-hmm. to, his, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to what he's selling only to uh, take them for everything they have. Yep. <laughs> Carlisle is uh, <laughs> more ways than one an absolute monster in this yeah. movie. <laughs> what does he say? He says morality is the last bastion of a coward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Him just him sort of engaging in debate with Guy Pierce because he's trying to seduce Guy Pierce and he thinks Guy Pierce would be a great partner. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking uh, when I rewatched it, like their final fight, which which by the way is the best Wolverine saber tooth fight ever put to screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, it I was thinking, did you guys see Brian Fuller's Hannibal the show? Yeah, sure did. Oh, it's so great. I was I was actually wondering if Brian Fuller was a fan of Ravenous before embarking on his version of Hannibal because flamboyant liar Carlisle versus like sort of damaged quiet guy Guy Pierce that's that's oh, yeah. pretty much the Will Graham Hannibal uh, dynamic that um, that we got on the show and and you know they get they get really intimate at the end of the you know <laughs> of course it ends with them in the bear trap at the end yeah. uh, and they they literally end it in in an embrace like yeah I was I was like um as you just 
just said, like, there's he's trying to seduce him, and I was I was wondering if the, that tension was brought in intentionally, considering you know the movie's all about puncturing these stereotypes, these these archetypes. I don't think it's. It's not for nothing that we only see dudes tempted into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was I was wondering like did was was like the intimacy of it near the end was it also meant to unbalance viewers that were like no even especially in 1999 would would have been um, conditioned to sort of not expect any sort of male male intimacy in movies that weren't about like uh, like oh this is a this is an Oscar Beatty uh, homosexual issue movie that's that's what we can expect. <laughs> That's what I expect. Gay con- yeah, you get to put on your special your special jacket and your special hat. When you're watching. One of those <laughs> yeah, right. You don't expect it in your cannibal movie with the the real men out in the woods. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. To go back to one of the previous conversations that we were having or discussion points is that you know the movies that I saw the most uh, kind of man on man, if if not sexual, then like erotic behavior was vampire movies right right right. like like interview with a vampire and a lot of these other things i saw uh even in high school and junior high like outside of as you mentioned like those like movies like priest and some of the ones that are like this is gonna be our big gay movie (laughs) Um, that kind of like uh affection uh was was only really seen in vampire movies um, right, right, for right. myself. So it makes sense in a way that that would be picking up that part of the myth as well. That this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this idea that uh, that becoming on this level of this club or whatever, like, sheds the human need for um, categorizing yourself in that way. That was that was something that uh, that I had completely forgotten because <laughs> it's it only really pops up near the end. Uh, let's say, yeah. Uh, in in such a uh, an ambiguous manner, at least I'm, I'm getting him to eat. Like the seduction happens throughout the entire movie, but it really only gets quite explicit uh, near the end. Yeah, no, no, that was um, it's great. It's a it's a it's a great fucking yeah. movie, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is an almost twenty year old movie. I'm glad it pokes fun at the way, obviously America, but it's not like Europe is in a lot better at it than than America is. It pokes fun at the way we can process anything that's outside of an extremely narrow point of view, outside of that extremely narrow binary. And even within that binary, there's only certain roles that you can assume. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we talked about the capitalist and the imperialist critiques, but I, I do think that uh, Ravenous also definitely talks about, hey, what is a man in these types of movies, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> You're 100% right. And even the, you know, that's why there's so much, like in some of our film groups, like that's why there's so much still eye rolling and criticism 100% correctly at like whenever like uh, in the big Disney blockbusters, they're like, hey, there's finally going to be a gay character. Like, <laughs> oh, but the scenes were cut where that was clear. But you see that one way that he looks at him? Yeah. Like, yeah, a lot going on behind the scenes that you can extrapolate. Or like Thor, even in Thor Ragnarok, it's yeah, like, Tessa Thompson, it's like yeah. subtly hinted that Tessa Thompson may have had a female relationship. And like it, it, be, it has become laughable in our group. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like it almost feels like a, a – 
parody level of trying to avoid it while giving just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it is like, who do you think you're making happy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With that, like, who you are, like, acting like it's the 1940s and like, ah, <laughs> the way you looked at them? It's going to get you through the day. You spend $30 on our Blu-ray and you flip through the first three pages of menus. You get to see a four second shot of a beautiful woman maybe making winking eyes at another woman. Which also could be interpreted as her just liking the other woman. You're welcome. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember it was actually Ragnarok when, you know, the movie outlets pick up on that and they're like, oh, Tessa Thompson's gonna be bisexual in Ragnarok. (laughs) (laughs) And I was I just saw that for the first time and I was like, yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I also forgot that was a thing because I didn't see it in theaters until like I watched it and then like I someone popped it up as like, hey, that was the first bisexual character in a Marvel movie. I'm like, I just fucking watched the movie. Who was bi- <laughs> like I can't How? even re- <laughs> yeah. remember who was supposed to be bisexual. Like if it's so subtle that like I was like, was it Thor? <laughs> was it yeah. Jeff Goldblum? Like if, if I'm running through characters that may have been bisexual Uh, I think you may have uh, been a little too subtle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I assign you no points. (laughs) Negative points because you made a big deal out of it. (laughs) Yeah, you tooted your own horn for nothing. No, yeah. And And I think that they've like sort of the Hollywood marketing people have really been exploiting the like sort of bisexual and pansexual audience for this. Because, uh, like, uh, remember in Solo, Lando was pansexual. Oh, yeah. Because uh, cause with bisexuals and pansexuals, you have a very easy out. You know, like, you can easily exploit that group. You can say, like, oh, yeah, they're bisexual, they're pansexual. Um, they only have a, a heterosexual relationship on screen. But believe me, they're, they're, they're <laughs> totally bisexual when the cameras are off. Uh, and, you know, that's... Uh, well, Lando just loves his robot. voiced by a woman so like he doesn't do anything (laughs) sexual at any point in the movie pan or otherwise yeah it's it's star wars if anything it's it's all asexual representation that's star wars man there's there's no sex in star wars incestual and asexual are the only two modes for star wars (laughs) let's do some scenes yeah what what else didn't we get a chance to talk about i want to talk about briefly jeffrey jones yeah um right he he's been in some of my favorite movies some of my favorite works i'm actually watching deadwood for the first time right now oh it's pretty awesome Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and uh his sort of conviviality matched with the fact that Jeffrey Jones can be extremely creepy is perfect for this movie. Right, and in right. real life. Very and in real life, yeah. And in real life, he is also a creep. <laughs> is, is he, like, in jail right now? I think he's out. I think he only did parole, of course. Okay. Well, off-white. When the scene when he's reintroduced is so awesome because they build it up. They build up this tension, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. traditional sort of string music, and then he walks through the door, and he's just <laughs> yeah. sort of like... He's sort of like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, what's up? <laughs> I'm alive now. He's not like all about the drama or anything. He's just like, you didn't expect to see me alive. Um, <laughs> let me explain. <laughs> You're good. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That, uh, that bathos, as it were, that um, the diffusing of the, the situation. 
Yeah. Okay, since we're since we're talking about the supporting cast, uh, you know, shout out to Neil McDonough who uh, <laughs> who brings like his um, his alpha male soldier. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They could have like because like we introduce all the people at the fort in a little montage, and he has like the hilarious um, uh, like he's broing out in the cold stream. <laughs> he's like. Uh, <laughs> Flexing, he's yeah, he's flexing his pecs and screaming, and um, <laughs> they, they he manages to not make um his character like this stereotypical douche. He's 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 not like the super aggressive like like you'd expect that like oh yeah I heard heard about your cowardice in the Mexican American War I'm gonna I've got my eye on you you ain't shit but no he's He's pretty supportive. He's a, he's, a, he's a decent guy. Yeah, I, uh... He kind of has to get wiped out, though, because he's too confident. <laughs> yeah. And he's, like, the first one in the cave, and you know that if he actually had... A, if he actually understood the full information about Robert Car- Carlyle, he would do pretty well yeah. <laughs> battle with him. Exactly. Like... He's, he's caught by surprise. Sort of macho yeah. soldier boy, so he needs to get wiped out early on. <laughs> so there actually can be some some drama, you know, in terms of like violence. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the scream in the stream though was I I'm, I remember the first time I watched this. That was the hardest I laughed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great use of a jump cut. <laughs> Absolutely. There, um, and I do think it's funny that like like you mentioned, indeed, there's um, he would do pretty well, like in a. He he could be the lead, like he'd be um, it it could be like Predator with like <laughs> with Robert Carlyle as the Predator and and him as the Arnold, but and Car- Carlyle would probably just pivot and build his own little cannibal. Yeah, he would hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, join Carlyle and then try to like jockey for power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and rather than that, um, rather than be our lead, our hero, our tough guy, he becomes the the meat. He becomes the he becomes the health pack for uh, for Guy Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> he's good. He's just good turkey. Yeah. yeah. And because like, there's even a joke. It's like, oh, he was a little tough. I guess he was a soldier. So that. <laughs> so we mentioned Robert Carlyle as sort of like the the most fun actor, the most diverse actor in this. I do think it's cool that like Robert Carlyle is like the soul of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's explaining all the themes. He perfectly balances that sort of like I'm going to be comedic now and I'm going to be terrifying in three seconds. Just watch me. He can he's is the movie in a microcosm, and I love that. Yeah, he's he's the he unlocks the movie. He's the soul of it. But Guy Pierce is like the back, the bones, the structure of the movie. Right, like, right, right. He, he needs to be there so we can go on this journey with him. And he's like a dependable person. He goes crazy, but understandably so. Um, but he, he's the he gives the movie structure and form. And you kind of understand it when he gets dragged along with mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, right, but right. yeah, but I do think it's a very conscious choice to make our protagonist someone we don't like being around. Mm-hmm. Because he is so sad sack, so depressing, <laughs> can barely like stand up for himself right right when he finally does it's like this sputtering nonsense it's the type of person that you want to say no more clearly articulate your people's (laughs) lives depend on it you're you're doing a bad job at everything (laughs) like like it and he's you know he's weak to his own temptations and i right right you know i think i think not to reiterate some things we talked about i think that and I think that's probably why people rejected the movie in some ways, because he's just he's he's not unlikable necessarily. He's just not someone that you root for. Right, right, right. Um, and he's he's someone who is like 
ultimately weak to all the forces around him, which again fits with a lot of the themes that we right right we've already spoken about. Yeah, Guy Pierce is one of my favorite actors. Period, mm-hmm. um, and he's always game for doing a movie where yes, he's one of the leads, or yes, he is the lead, but he's willing to take a backseat to let the movie actually sort of express him. Yeah, this is a thankless role. Like it is thankless. The, I think one of the most underrated movies of the past decade, and one of my favorites, is The Rover. Yeah, it's great. Guy Pierce in that movie, Guy Pierce is takes a backseat a lot of times he does have the emotional beats but he's willing to like let them this the mutedness the quietness of the movie speak for his character and like i love that he's the kind of actor that understands that like he doesn't need to go to 11 just to show off right 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 the i guess one thing that i we didn't get a chance to talk about i i wanted to mention that i really like um this movie has a lot of really good lines that we've kind of already mentioned like mm-hmm. That was very sneaky of you, <laughs> or yes. or um or like the run. It's basically a bunch of stuff that Robert Carlyle says, or that he's he was licking me. One thing <laughs> I really appreciate for, from movies, I like when movies from a previous time period don't try to uh, mimic mimic the language and the vernacular of that time period. I like the kind of anachronistic feeling of people talking the way that we're used to as opposed to the way they probably would have spoke in 1850s or like just as a stylistic choice it's not because i feel like oh i'm not gonna like it as much if they're saying stuff i don't like i I get it i understand it but i actually i I like it as a deliberate choice to bring the audience in stuff like a knight's tale which is a movie i like yeah right right I, i think you can tell a more interesting story sometimes if you let people say one liners or swear a lot or do do kind of these things that are i I don't know and and i imagine as a writer too it's tough to have to figure out okay here's what i want to say how do i make them say what i want them to say in a way they would have said it that just sounds like a headache just let them talk yeah and and, and, um pete talked about um about having started deadwood recently and that's a great example of that yeah because, like, swears in the 1860s would have been like, oh, gold darn, uh, you know, um, <laughs> that would have uh, skewed to the, you like... You mutt. You know, if you want to say something offensive, you'd say something um, profane, something uh, mocking uh, religion or something. Yeah. Uh, but now it's more, uh, now it's more scatological. Uh, so, emotional impact of, like, Ian McShane saying, like, fucking cocksucker, that's that's what it would have been like to say gold darn in, in 1868, yeah. you know? Um, um, and so, yeah, I completely agree. You, you got to go for the for the emotional impact, not necessarily for what essentially is conjecture most of the time anyway. Like, we watch a historical movie. We want people to have, like, nice Lord of the Rings British accents. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where it's, it's bullshit. It's just a movie convention, you know? Uh, and, yeah. And uh, Knight's, I love A Knight's Tale as well. It's... it's um, uh, you know, the, the, these guys were rock stars. Let's 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 showcase them yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. There's really good jokes in the movie that Aaron was, was talking about that that are very modern jokes. Where Carlisle is making a stew, and then Knox says, uh, "You know." Um, is there anything I can do to help with the stew? And then uh, Carlisle says, "Perhaps later you might contribute." <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, if that's not funny enough, Knox goes, you just let me know. (laughs) 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 Like, he's, it's just highlighting this guy who's just been drunk the whole movie, has no idea what movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I love that, and that you could only capture that by doing more modernized dialogue. I don't know the actor who plays, plays that character, but it felt like it was Mike Judge, which only helped (laughs) his comedic moments because it kind of looked like if you if you put a old timey Mark Twain costume <laughs> on uh, on <laughs> uh, with Judge. facial hair and everything on Mike Judge, I think that's who you would get. And like his uh, facial tics and that kind of stuff kind of match Mike <laughs> Judge's body language. So I, I'm just gonna pretend it was Mike Judge. I'm sorry to the actor <laughs> that actually had the role. So when we were talking about the themes, we didn't touch on the fact that this movie also calls out Christianity in it. Oh. And it's it's uh, call against manifest destiny. There's a there's a, a conversation with the Native American uh, character, one of the Native American characters, where basically they're like, "Oh, cannibalism isn't that you know isn't that barbaric?" And then the Native American goes, "White man eats the." eats the flesh of Jesus every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually goes a little deeper than that because what happens when everybody eats flesh in this? They become powerful. Their wounds heal. They can, they can theoretically live like forever, right? Right, right, right. Promises made from the host in, in Christianity are bestowed by this act of, of cannibalism. And at the end of the movie, Robert Carlyle paints in blood, paints a cross on his head. Yeah, right, right. Sort of be, yeah, he's, he's trying to be um, almost like a perfect idol for right, right, right. what Manifest Destiny and Imperialism would be, and that includes missionary. That is amazing. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, th- this almost kind of makes it feel like, you know, at the end of an Indiana Jones movie, uh, where like the supernatural thing happens, and you're like, oh, yes. I, I, guess, I guess God is real in this universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Ravenous pulls the same trick by saying like, Oh, you think that the the whole thing about communion in uh, in Catholicism is um I don't know uh, uh, I guess I was raised Catholic is this is communion a thing in other Christian uh yeah I was raised Catholic too I was I was also raised Catholic okay I, I guess we all like horror for a reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah and are also not Catholic anymore <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah like yeah communion that's 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 symbolic yeah whatever but Ravenous says no. Communion is real. It just makes you an absolute piece of shit if you yeah. <laughs> uh, if you partake in that stuff. So that is that is harsh. And thank you, Pete. That was a. <laughs> and on top of that, it makes you feel like you are better and superior to people that are not taking it, uh, because yeah. that is what that is essentially like the hypocrisy of Christianity. Christians feel superior to people and they'll they'll say oh i want to help and i want to do this but ultimately like that help has been with like again its own massive genocide and its own uh, abuse of power right, and right. all these types of things um the christian religion almost and catholics especially almost explicitly say you are missing a part of you that could make you as powerful in in some capacity as as i am <laughs> well revelations on this uh on this podcast uh the um <laughs> what we talked about earlier that like only men seem to be tempted you know there's no um martha martha never gets to never smells the stew she never wants to eat the stew um that's very catholic as well uh you know yeah. that's it's, it's a boys club it's um you know nobody uh 
and nobody gets to be the highest uh <laughs> nobody gets to be the highest uh spiritual office on earth <laughs> if you're not uh, if you don't have the right set of genitals <laughs> so yeah. uh so yeah that's a uh, that's a uh, that kind of ties in with that nicely so uh, I, I completely missed something when we were talking about the the intimacy of Robert Carlyle mm-hmm. and sort of seducing um guy Pierce he keeps mentioning virility and potency. Yes. Over and over again. <laughs> yes. And it's it's like he's saying like, hey, all right, on top of everything, <laughs> you can fuck real good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But there, there's something going on there where he's basically, I think he's saying like, not only does it make you feel more alive, it makes you literally more alive. You didn't die. It makes you feel good. It makes you give, fills you with a sort of vibrancy and energy, a virility. A, it says it feels like potency going through your veins is a quote. That was something we didn't touch on that I, di- I didn't want to get past because right, right. it's in the text. It's not just the fact that they're touching a lot. There's there's a lot more in the text than just it, yeah, physical intimacy. Because that's the only type of uh, sexuality a society like that would tolerate. The, the idea that, um, that your virility comes from taking from other people and, and, and abusing other people. The fact that, you know, there's no, there's no consent in that, in this virility, you know? No. Uh, it's, it's all about, uh, it's all about taking. It's all about, uh, being the boss, asserting yourself <laughs> over others. Um, and I think enforcing strict gender roles and the heteronormativity of society is extremely necessary to maintain a capitalist society. Uh, because once people start, you know, thinking out of the box, they'll start yeah. thinking about, you know, hey, maybe maybe there's more to society we don't need to do. You know, if, if I don't have to be a boy or a girl, or if I don't have to specifically fall in love with a boy or a girl, um, maybe there's other things that we can start to question. Um, and it's that rigid box thinking that is absolutely uh, necessary, and not just box thinking, but box thinking um, that is intertwined with a certain uh, hierarchy that uh, that everyone just seems to assume is normal and legitimate. Uh, yeah, well, not just capitalism, obviously, the the religious aspect. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of the church needing to maintain its power by enforcing uh, strict roles and, um, you know, they, there's a reason that they, they, you know, they have sacraments kind of around those roles, which are the... Um, the the epitome of the greatest like thing that can be bestowed from uh, matrimony between one man and one woman as we've defined it and um, you know uh, confession <laughs> right, to, right. Uh, giving your sins to someone that is superior to you on the org chart so anything else before we before we wrap this up this has been an amazing discussion I, oh thank you <laughs> this was so fun thank you for getting up and the the crack of dawn to hang out with us morons next time we'll hopefully find a time that is less offensive but final thoughts on this movie um it's it's funny because while i was very excited to watch it again and felt like it held up i kind of want to watch it again because <laughs> i do feel like we pulled so much from this conversation that like <laughs> I mean again embarrassing as it is right. I it was an hour and a half into the movie before I was like oh manifest destiny interesting <laughs> all the other things that we've kind of peeled from that onion through this conversation makes me kind of want to uh, go back and revisit it in the very near future kind of more informed by this conversation so <laughs> 
so happy it was picked. I was excited to revisit it. But if anything, like I, I've walked away thinking that maybe I won't go another, you know, 10, 15 years without watching it. Yeah, that's that's about as long as I had gone, to be honest. So uh, I'm, I'm watching it again on Saturday. So I, I'm actually, like you, I'm actually psyched to, to, to watch it again. And that, hey, that's the hallmark of a good movie. <laughs> well, you have to let us know. Uh, you have to let us know what your wife thinks of it too. Like, she loved Get Out. She loved uh, Your Next uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, Krampus. Oh, great one. Uh, so it, she, she, I, I'm pretty sure that this will. Like, I know her well enough to think that. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure she'll like it. The, the cult grows larger. Yay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We've all eaten the stew. <laughs> It'll be up to eight people. We, we you. It's on the box office. Um, yeah, Peter, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, just uh, really excited for this month, and I'm glad we kicked it off on a great step first step with uh, you, Luana. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Pete. Right. Luana, why don't you tell us how you can find the, the Monster Movie Podcast? Oh, you can find uh, Monster Island commentaries on monstercommentaries.libsyn.com, uh, which is uh, Libsyn is L-I-B-S-Y-N. Uh, we're also on uh, iTunes. We're, we're, we're on a bunch of we're on a bunch of channels, to be honest. That I'm not quite sure. My uh, hey, I remember show. that feeling. Too. <laughs> uh, Wait, let me see if I can find... Let me guess. Uh, I guess, like, TuneIn, which is uh, something I've never gone to, but apparently we're on that as well. So, yeah, we're on Google Play, we're on uh, iTunes, we're on iHeartRadio, uh, and we're on Stitcher. Uh, and, and, and on Libsyn, I guess. Absolutely, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So, uh, if you didn't get a chance to write it down, you're driving like a lot of people are when they listen to podcasts, uh, pull up the show notes. Um, I'm excited to add it to my subscribe list and listen as well. Oh, it's so Peter. We have three more episodes of Ladies Fright Night and then uh, our Halloween special. So next week we are doing uh, next week we are doing The Babadook with Natalie Lane. Then we are doing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Freddy's Dead, the final night. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 6 with Lizette Garcia, uh, which I'm very excited. Actually, one, one of the things I'm going to do uh, the first two days I have off is that even though I know these movies absolutely do not need to be watched in order, but I've never seen four or five. So I'm going to watch four or five on those days uh, so to prep for number six. And then I will have seen all the Nightmare movies. And then uh, we're wrapping up the month with uh, a little movie called Carrie. Uh, and our guest is Carrie Nelson. Yay, uh, so Carrie. That should be <laughs> fun uh, if you like uh, – uh, probably about a thousand jokes about uh, someone's movie and the name of the guest being the same. <laughs> we we're very excited. The Carrie from 2013, which I haven't seen yet. So another one I'm very excited to see uh, for the first time. And then, Peter, what's our Halloween special this year? Our Halloween special, uh, we do something different every year. But this year, we're going to be doing the original Halloween by John Carpenter. The sequel, Halloween 2, half-directed by John Carpenter. We'll get to that later. And the remake. Not a remake. Uh, sequel to Halloween sequel, 2. Sequel to Halloween 2. Re, soft reboot. Cool. 
Queel. Uh, <laughs> Road chip. Now nothing is ever firmly a sequel or a reboot. It's halfway in between. But yeah, we're going to do a, uh, a all three of those movies, and we're going to sort of um, see if it makes for a good trilogy. What we think of the franchise overall, whether or not it departed well from uh, that formula from three onward, or if we like this new fangled timeline that we, we have now. Yeah, and I've never seen two, so I'm excited to to watch that for the first time and obviously uh i'm sure peter and i were both planning to go see the the new one anyways so we don't get a chance that often to cover movies that are in theaters and this seemed like the perfect time to kind of talk about that in 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 its new trilogy that they firmly placed it in uh not not the old trilogy which is halloween (laughs) which would go to h2o and then resurrection uh and then not the one where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is gone. There's a great like infograph they made. I don't know if you guys have seen it about like um, if you've watched the first Halloween, all the different paths you could go. Like, um, <laughs> sort of like it, but want to see. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, go watch the Rob Zombie one. Like, it's great because it is a very convoluted <laughs> uh, series. But I'm very excited. I'm very excited for this month. I'm excited to start watching uh, all of these horror movies that are on our list, and then. Uh, as with every year, roll the dice and work that we burn out on them in general. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, thanks again so much, Luana, for coming on. I'm very excited to have you back. Oh, thank you. Very Ryan. excited for people to hear this episode. This was a this was an amazing kickoff to this month. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it, you guys. Um, that was it was really uh, it was it was worth uh, staying up till uh, <laughs> seven a.m. now. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, sh- shame on you for yawning just now, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that was Peter because it right. was midnight my time, and uh, Peter's <laughs> gonna watch a movie, and uh, uh, Luana is gonna start her day. So, really, I, a, really a big dichotomy of things that are gonna happen. <laughs> we hang up here. Um, it's actually a big day because, like, at nine o'clock, I got an appointment at town hall to officially change my name to Luana. Oh, <laughs> so, yay! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And what better way to celebrate it than talking to us two more? Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Your day can only get better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, good night, everyone. I hope you have a great spooktober. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the rest. Uh, good night, guys. <laughs> good night. Bye-bye. folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening. So we love to watch.